Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Hey, good morning. Come on, the first service was louder. That's saying something. Good morning. Okay, take it easy, Gene. You guys should be very impressed that I'm here this morning. I'm fully clothed and I have deodorant on. Uh, because we just moved on Wednesday and we've been able to find everything. Normally those aren't hard things to do, okay? <laughs> but this week we moved back to the Milton area and we're so, so excited. It only took me 25 minutes to drive here this morning as opposed to well over an hour and an hour 45 with traffic. So I'm glad to be back in the area and we are um, excited to be able to launch this new series on, well I guess it's the second Sunday now in, in the new year. As we start the series called, series called Searching for Jesus, and we decided to get um, a little fancy with it, and Pastor Doug is going to talk more about it at the end of the service and how we can utilize this, but we decided to use a hashtag in the beginning of our message. Now, do you guys know what a hashtag is? In the first service, somebody said, is that like a hash brown? I said, no, honestly, I said, no, that's totally different. A hashtag, right? Something you use in social media. Are you guys social media people? Right? You use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that kind of stuff. And the hashtag, basically, when you put you know, the number sign, the pound key, in front of any word, it'll make it go blue. And what it'll do is, anywhere else in the world where somebody uses that same hashtag, it puts all of those posts together. So as we're doing this new series called Hashtag Searching for Jesus... As you take pictures of people who are preaching, if you take pictures of, you know, people you meet in the foyer, if you hear something cool that you want to tweet out, always make sure, use the hashtag, okay, searching for Jesus, because you never know who's listening, or you never know who's searching online for Jesus, and maybe somehow it'll bring them back to these series of messages, and somebody who needs to hear him is going to hear him. So please make sure you use that hashtag as we go throughout the next six weeks after this one. Now, I feel like it's a new year, and so I need to kind of remind everybody, because my first couple weeks here, everybody was really loud with the wows. Do you guys remember the wows? Then it kind of went quiet for a while. And so I'm going to have us bring the wow factor back to Portico, okay? So can we practice that one more time? I just want to make sure you can physically are able to say the word wow. Do Do you think you can do wow together? What do you think? Wow. Okay. One, two, three. Wow. <laughs> okay, we'll get there. We'll get there. Well, today we're going to ask the question, did Jesus of Nazareth even exist? You know, there are people who deny adamantly that Jesus of Nazareth is just a legend kind of like King Arthur, kind of like Zeus or Hercules, that they're great stories of a great man, things that we can learn about, but the actual person doesn't exist. It's just a cool story. Did you know that? 
There are people all around the planet who have heard about Jesus but never were fully convinced that he actually existed. Now, if you go to the flip side of that, there are people that we know did not exist, 100%. We know they did not exist, but we use their names on a regular basis. There are places that never existed, but we use the names of those cities and those places because they become part of our culture. Let me give you an example. How many have ever used the tooth fairy in raising your kids? Let me see. Anybody? Yeah? Okay. How many times have we as kids get so excited when we lost one of our teeth because we got to put it under a pillow? And in the middle of the night, some winged stranger would enter our room, which doesn't feel very safe to me. But this winged, (laughs) fictitious creature will come into your room and will remove your tooth. What do you do with secondhand teeth? I don't know. But this thing would take your tooth and then leave you money. Now, who would get a dollar or less for one tooth? Let me see your hands. Anybody? Okay, so you got hosed by the tooth fairy. Okay. (laughs) My mom started this incredible uh, thing for the kids. For every tooth they lost, she gave them 20 bucks. Man, our kids were punching each other in the mouth just to knock teeth out. Because that was better than their allowance. Jeez. But we talk about the tooth fairy like it exists. We know it doesn't exist, but it's become such a part of our culture that we use the words and nobody even thinks anything about it. We have the same thing with things like the Easter Bunny, with Santa Claus. We know that Santa Claus, as we see today, didn't actually exist. Doesn't have... Ra- oh, sorry, are there kids in the room? Oh, well, we preach truth to church. Okay. No, but we talk about these things like they actually existed, even though they didn't. So we have things like the Tooth Fairy, Easter Bunny, Santa Claus. Um, You guys have heard about Bigfoot or Sasquatch? I think we took a picture of them here. We have Bigfoot. We have the Loch Ness Monster. All these fictitious things, but people know so much about them, even though they didn't exist. I found something else that's fictitious, but we talk about it all the time. Uh, Stanley Cup in Toronto. Um... (laughs) Oh, it was quiet in the first service of that. Um, But what we do is we listen to and we actually formulate our lives to bend to these fictitious creatures and people. We tell our children, if they don't go to bed in time, Santa Claus is not going to come. Even though we know he's not coming, we say it anyways because our kids will believe it. And so we use these things to speak into their lives. You know, people argue about things that don't even exist, and they are passionate about it. Now, I'm guilty about this, so I'm going to be careful. I'm going to try not to offend people, but I know there's going to be one or two that will be offended, okay? There are people in this world, there are probably people who are watching me right now, there are probably people in this room right now who would argue violently over who was better, Batman or Superman, In the first service, somebody yelled, Spider-Man. Okay. People will spend hours reading comic books, and they will talk about why this one is better than that one, because this superpower is superior to that superpower. They don't exist. But yet people will put so much time and energy into arguing over these things. Now, this next one is very personal to me. 
And I'm going to try, I'm going to try to behave. I'm going to try to be nice because we're all brothers and sisters in the Lord. Yes. yes. <laughs> I'm going to try. There are some people in this room and it would be hard for us to be friends, but there are some people in this room right now who would say, wow, this is hard. That Star Wars is better than Star Trek. I said it, wow, I feel so much lighter. (sighs) Right? Things that don't exist and we put so much energy into them, how much more should we put energy into a person who did exist? A person like Jesus. But we need to set the stage. We need to make the confirmation that he actually did exist as a person. Now, in the next six weeks, we're going to ask Jesus who he said he was. We're going to look at some of the statements he made and ask him, well, now that we've established that you were real, that you existed, who do you say that you are, Jesus, to us? But today we're asking the question that he asked his disciples in Matthew 16 in Caesarea Philippi. He said, who do you say that I am? So today we're not going to get into the theology of who he was. We just want to get to the fact that there was a person who lived in space and time whose name was Jesus and he hailed from a small community called Nazareth. So what we're going to do is we're going to go beyond the borders of the Bible today to see if we can find in history evidence saying conclusively that this man Jesus did exist. You see, our Our danger as Christians to our non-Christian friends is to right away pull out the Bible and say, well, the Bible says in Matthew that this, or Ezekiel prophesied this, and a person who's not a believer is going to say, well, I don't believe any of that book. So anything you draw from that, it's null and it's void. I don't know if you know people like that, but there are people who say, if you pull it out of there, we can't even have a conversation because I don't even believe in that. So where do we go to get evidence for the fact that Jesus existed? Yes, we can have faith. We can believe because the Bible said. But what's wonderful is that alongside of that, and we can never undermine the power of faith and believing what the Word says, but we also have other evidence that comes alongside the Bible and paints for us a historical picture of a man named Jesus of Nazareth. And if we can't prove he existed, then we're going to have a hard time bringing people to trust him as Savior. So let's begin with that today. Now, this is going to be a very different kind of a message. This is going to be like sitting in a class in university, and we're going to be using a lot of quotes. We're going to be doing a lot of historical research and archaeology. This is going to kind of differ a little bit from how we normally preach here at Portico, but we wanted to set the stage academically. We wanted to make a strong case for the fact that Jesus of Nazareth existed. So please bear with me because I'll be throwing a lot of information about you or at you. And we're not going to get a chance to cover all the information in the notes because I'm looking at my, my, my Word document here, and I keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, and the, the clock keeps going down and down and down, and I know there's no way we're going to cover it all. This is where our small groups, this is where our growth groups come in. What we're not able to cover today, and even what we do cover, we're going to go deeper. We're going to jump deeper. We're going to dive deeper into 
what these things are in our growth groups. So if you're not a part of a growth group, Pastor Doug will talk to us at the end of the service about how you can get into one. And starting next Wednesday, we're going to have a meeting here at the church where I'll be taking this material and be going deeper, okay? But today, let me give you as much as I possibly can. Now, I would say beyond, with, with conviction, that Jesus, no matter what you believe of him, whether you're in this room or whether you're watching online or watching this video later that you've downloaded, I would say that arguably Jesus is the most well-known figure in all of human history. Would you agree with that? I mean, no matter what you think about him, who he is, what he said was, just him as a person, that name, he is the most. Even my Jewish friends say, oh, of course, there's no doubt. He's the most famous person in the history of mankind. He's so famous, in fact, that he actually divides space and time. Because of him, we have B.C. and A.D. What's the date today, guys? It's not a trick question. (laughs) They got it on the first shot in the first service, Pastor. I don't know what's going on. It's January 8th. What year? Do you know why it's 2017? Because we base it and calculate it on the year that Jesus was born. Now, I thought it was pretty important, but nobody based humanity on my birth date. I've tried. We should try that. So that means it's year 46, because I was born in 1970. No, space and time is divided because of one man. Nobody else has done that. That's how important this person, Jesus, is. Now, some would say, well, you know, to believe in Jesus, that he was God and he was man and that he he died for the sins of all the world, to believe that takes a weak person. Obviously, somebody of high intellect, somebody who's very intelligent, a professor, a scientist, somebody smart, would never believe in such a thing. That's what some of the academics would say. Those with intelligence, people who were important, would never believe in Jesus. I said, really? All you got to do is a quick search online and, and type in historical or, or famous or well-known Christians, and you'll be blown away. Here, let me just show you a few real quick. People who are, I would say, pretty famous, and some people would say they were smart. This first picture, starting on the right side, we have Queen Elizabeth. I would say she's an important person. She believes in Jesus. What about the guy beside her? You probably don't know who he is by looking at him. But that that good-looking guy, his name is Johannes Kepler, one of the most famous mathematicians throughout history. He's the one who calculated that the earth isn't at the center of the solar system and that the sun doesn't go around us. But he discovered that the sun is at the center of the solar system and everything revolves around it. Pretty smart dude. He believes in Jesus Beside him is Sir Isaac Newton. I'm sure you know that name. That's a pretty famous guy. That's a pretty smart guy. He believes in Jesus, and his faith in Christ is what propelled him to do science in the first place because he wanted to prove with science what he believed by faith. And then finally, we have Mr. C.S. Lewis, who's written some of the most famous literary documents of our time, Mere Christianity, Screwtape Letters, and on and on it goes. So here we have people of prominence, clearly, who believe in Jesus. Let me show you another picture, a pie chart that my wife Karen was able to make for me in, in the past few weeks as I was preparing for this. 
And this just kind of shows you the percentages of religions around the world. This is conducted by the Pew Report, one of the largest reporting organizations in the world. And they came up with this number, that there are 2.2 billion Christians alive on earth today. Now, either Jesus is real or there are 2.2 billion people that have been duped into believing a lie. Based on that data, that means that 32% of our planet are Christ followers. That one out of every three people on earth believe in Jesus, not just as a historical person, but as in Messiah and as in Lord. I don't know about you, that's a wow, one in three? Now, why is it important to legitimize the existence of Jesus? Why do we have to to prove it? Why can't we just believe it? Folks, if there's no Jesus, there's, there's no Christianity. He is the center of everything we believe and everything we hold dear as Christians. And if he wasn't born, then that means he didn't die. And if he didn't die, he didn't rise from the dead. And if he didn't rise from the dead, you know what Corinthians says? That if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is what? It's useless. I love that word. It's useless. And so is your faith. So establishing that he was born, that he died, finding his tomb... (laughs) And the fact that it's empty is very important. I'm going to show you in just a few moments the archaeology that backs up what the Bible says. So we're going to look at the life of Jesus from the Gospel of John because we do need to look at a biblical source as our primary source. That's where we go to. But then later we're going to go away from that and look at other sources throughout history who say, oh yeah, this guy existed. And what's funny is the historians didn't like Jesus. The historians didn't like Christianity, but the fact that they named him by name shows that he actually existed. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, so the primary source of where we hear about Jesus is in this book, right? The Holy Bible, the New Testament, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, I've had Christians, I've had actually atheists, sorry, say to me, oh, the Bible is filled with so many contradictions. How can you believe that thing to be true? It's so, so random. One guy says one thing, another guy says another thing, so obviously it can't be true. I said, Really? We were talking about this in our sermon preparation time, and and Pastor Doug found this, this great quote. It says this, that the discrepancy of facts or events does not diminish the credibility of evidence. Let me say that again. The discrepancy of facts or events does not diminish the credibility of evidence. Let's say we went down to watch a, a Toronto Maple Leaf game and look for this fictitious Stanley Cup, okay, We get to the game, and I can't afford good seats, so I'm sitting way, way in the top, and you have better seats, so you're sitting center ice, you're seeing things from a total different perspective, and we both go to dinner after the game, you know what's going to happen? We'll have seen the game completely different. 
Because I'm here, I can see everything, and so I'm going to tell you what I saw. And because you were up close, you could only see what was in front of you. Now, because we have different perspectives on the game, it doesn't mean the game didn't happen. See, that's what we're doing with the gospel. Just because they have different perspectives doesn't mean the actual event didn't take place. Now, I wanted to find somebody who who had credibility, who who could talk to the authenticity of, of the gospels. And I looked up a friend of mine whose name is Jim Warner Wallace. He wrote a book called Cold Case Christianity. And he's a cold case detective for over 30 years in the Los Angeles area. And what they do is whenever a case hasn't been solved for decades, they call him in and he uses all of his experience to try and find the murderer, to try and find the guilty party by going back and using old evidence. Now, he was in a film called God's Not Dead 2. And although he was acting in the film, what he says is his actual personal testimony. It's only a couple of minutes. Let's take a listen. How many of your cold cases were solved through the use of DNA evidence? None, not one. That's uh, often popular on TV, but our department has never had the good fortune of solving a cold case with DNA. How do most of these cases get solved? Often by examining eyewitness claims, uh, witness claims that were made many years earlier, even though often our witnesses are now deceased. Forgive my ignorance, Mr. Wallace, but how is that possible? Well, we have a number of techniques that we can use to test the reliability of an eyewitness, including something called forensic statement analysis. That's a discipline where we scrutinize the statements of eyewitnesses and looking at what they choose to minimize, what they choose to emphasize, what they omit altogether, how they expand time or contract time. And when we examine these kinds of eyewitness accounts, we can usually tell who's lying and who's telling the truth and even who the guilty party is. And did you apply this skill set any time outside of your official capacity? Yes, I applied my expertise to the death of Jesus at the hands of the Romans. And I actually looked at the Gospels as I would any other set of forensic statements. Within a matter of months, I determined that the four Gospels, written from different perspectives, contained the eyewitness accounts about the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But isn't it true that these Gospel accounts vary widely in what they say? That there are numerous discrepancies between these accounts? Absolutely. But that's exactly what we should expect. I don't quite understand that. Well, reliable eyewitness accounts always differ slightly in the way they recall the story. They're coming to it from different geographic perspectives, their history, even where they are located in their room. When I examined the Gospels, I was trying to determine if these were accurate, reliable accounts in spite of any differences that might be between the accounts. Ah, and as a devout Christian, you feel you succeeded? No, Mr. Kane, I think you misunderstand me. When I began this study, I was a devout atheist. I began examining the Gospels as a committed skeptic, not as a believer. You see, I wasn't raised in a Christian environment, although I do think I have an unusually high regard for the value of evidence. I'm not a Christian because I was raised that way or because I hoped it would satisfy some need or accomplish some goal. I'm simply a Christian because it's evidentially true. Come on, there's a wow. Because it's evidentially true, that's what I believe. And so the first point, if you're following along, is we're looking at these biblical sources to help us source out who this historical Jesus is. You know, one thing you didn't hear him say there, but he said to me is, he said, you know, Joe, whenever I've interviewed people over the years, if their story made too much sense, they were probably lying. 
because that means they put thought into it. Truth is a little messier than lies. So he said, when I read the Gospels, I expect to see these discrepancies because they're truth. Okay, so then the first point is looking at biblical sources we can come to and rely on the Gospels as authentic and as reliable witness sources of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, the second point I want to look at quickly this morning is what are the historical evidences? What does history have to say about this man? Remember, next week and the weeks after that, we'll look at him as the Messiah, we'll look at him as God, we'll look at him as Savior, but today we're just looking at him as a man. We're just laying the foundation for the fact that this person, Jesus of Nazareth, actually did exist, that he walked through the streets of Jerusalem, he walked through the streets of Israel. So what I thought I would do is I would look up some famous historians, guys like Thallus and Tacticus and Josephus from the Roman world that that recorded history that we go to all the time that are completely and totally accepted as reliable evidences for what happened in the ancient world. And then I said, I wonder if any of them actually spoke about Jesus. And you know what? I was blown away. There was dozens and dozens and literally dozens of quotes by these historians to a person named Jesus, somebody they'd never met, but they'd heard about and had been passed down, and his followers were still in their empire, not even a hundred years after the supposed death of this man. The first one I wanted to look at is a guy named Josephus Flavius. Josephus is born in 37 A.D., The temple is destroyed in 70 A.D. That means at 33 years old, he was alive when the temple was destroyed by the Romans. So as a young man in his late 20s, he was alive at the same time as Jesus was. That's that's, that's pretty cool. Okay, so he's kind of, he's watching. Now around this time lived Jesus, a wise man. For he was a worker of amazing deeds and was a teacher of people who gladly accept the truth. He won over both many Jews and many Greeks. And Pilate, when he heard him, accused by the leading man among us, condemned him to the cross. But those who at first loved him did not cease doing so. To this day, the tribe of Christians named after him has not disappeared. This is a historian that's used by archaeologists to this very day and consider him to be incredibly accurate. Did you hear what he said about Jesus? And these are hostile sources. These are sources that didn't set out to prove he existed, but again, by acknowledging him, they're verifying this man did exist. Okay, this is other one that I found really cool by a guy named Thallus in 52 A.D., And he's writing about uh, the earthquake and the blackened skies that took place in his lifetime. And he says that on the whole world, there pressed a most fearful darkness, and the rocks were rent by an earthquake, and many places in Judea and other districts were thrown down. Now, this darkness, Thallus wrote in his third book of history, calls as appearance to be without reason an eclipse of the sun. So here we have in 52 ADs, within 20 years of the life of Jesus, 
There's already evidence that historians are recording the fact that on a certain day during Passover that the sky went dark and all the Middle East shook. Come on. Now, I know that's in the Bible, but this wasn't in the Bible. This was some historian simply write down what he had heard that was happening in his community. That's amazing. I don't know about you. So we have, we have history, and with history, we have archaeology. And it was so hard for me going through all these pictures the last couple of weeks, getting ready for the message, looking at all these pictures of Israel. I thought, oh, Lord, I want to go back. Hey, if you haven't been to Israel, who would like to go to Israel? Anybody? Have I got a deal for you? This coming fall, First Century Foundations and Portico Church are teaming up to bring you guys a tour to the Holy Land. There's actually brochures at the information desk. Make sure you go back there. I have a feeling it's going gonna, it's gonna to sell out pretty, pretty fast. Now, who would pay five bucks, just five, or five shekels, okay? It's like a buck 25. Who would pay five shekels to see Pastor Dog and Laura ride on the camel? Who would pay five shekels? Five shekels? Okay. Who would pay 20 shekels to see them fall off, said camel? <gasps> One lady had two hands up, pastor. I'll tell you who she was after the service. Okay. So not only does history record the fact that a man named Jesus existed, he had followers and he did miracles, he did all these things, but now archaeology comes alongside and says, oh, the places that this book talks about actually did exist. There's one here that happens in John 5, and it's, uh, they're called the Pools of Bethesda. And there's a shot here of the Pools of Bethesda. It was myth and legend until they unearthed it, they found it. And all of a sudden, we have archaeological evidence to a story in the Bible that's connected directly to a man named Jesus. All of a sudden, we're building more and more evidence. I've had the opportunity to go down there a couple times with some of the archaeologists working on the project, and that's about a 30-foot drop from the top to the bottom. And if you remember the story, there was a man who had been crippled for 37 years, and there was a legend that whenever the water was stirring, that there was an angel, remember? And first went in and got healed. Too bad for the rest of you. <laughs> so imagine if this man who had been crippled for 37 years finally got his shot. What if somebody threw him in the pools and the angel didn't show up and he didn't get healed? That means he would go down 30 feet right to the bottom. So the fact that he was willing to jump in shows us how much faith this man had in Jesus. Okay, so the pools of Bethesda are one of those places that was doubted until they found it. The next one they found only in the last 10 years. These are called the pools of Siloam. You've read about this throughout the gospel several times. They would go there to wash and prepare to go up to the temple. And also the story of a man where Jesus spits and makes mud and he puts it on his eyes. Now, how many would pay five shekels? Never mind. Okay. <laughs> so it was doubted that this place existed, but now in the last 10 years it's been found exactly as the Bible says and exactly where the Bible says it should be found. Folks, history is on the side of Jesus. And finally, you end up at the beautiful garden tomb. 
tomb that the Bible talks about, carved, hewn out of stone, never used before. And the listing talks about a garden. And everything we would expect to find, we find. There are dozens, oh my goodness, I have about 5,000 pictures on, on my hard drive of Israel. It was hard to, to find just three that I could show you today. But watch, going through pictures this week, oh my goodness, just so much nostalgia coming back, saying, God, everywhere I go in Israel, everywhere I step in that land, I see you, I see you, I see you. The land is called the fifth gospel. It speaks to us. And so we have biblical evidence, we have historical evidence, and another evidence that's very important, it's called critical evidence. There are critics who despise Christianity, who speak harshly against Christianity, but they quote Jesus. <laughs> and the very fact that they're quoting Jesus again speaks to the fact that he did exist. Believe what you want about him, but he did exist. Now, one said man is a guy named uh, Richard Dawkins. Have you heard that name before? Famed new atheist, free thinker, he calls himself. He, he's an atheist and makes fun of Christianity. I was alluding to him earlier. He says that, you know, you have to be weak-minded and unintelligent to be a Christian. Who would follow such an archaic teaching? He never even existed, this Jesus. So what, let's just stop believing this nonsense. Well, he was in a debate with um, John Lennox, Dr. John Lennox from the University of Cambridge, mathematics uh, doctor in, in London, and they sat down for a conversation about Jesus, and it was very interesting. Just watch this short little clip. Reading your book, The God Delusion, you say that it's under scholarly dispute among historians that Jesus actually existed. Now, I checked with the ancient historians. That is not so. And it disturbed me. History is not natural science. But what I don't understand is this, why you would write something like that. I don't think it's a very important question uh, whether Jesus existed. There are some historians, most historians think he did. Some They certainly do. I couldn't um, find an ancient historian that didn't. Uh, well, there are one or two. Um, when you look at history, and uh, let's, let's leave aside, may, maybe I, I, I alluded to the possibility that some historians think Jesus never exists. I take that back. Jesus existed. Bam. <laughs> hashtag bam. Hashtag searching for Jesus. And so again, even if you don't like him by referring to him and acknowledging he existed, guys, that's huge for those of us who are Christ followers. Even the Quran, 93 different times mentions Jesus by name. And over 180 times it refers to him with a messianic title. Folks, there is historical there is biblical, there is critical evidence over and over again to prove without any reasonable doubt that there was a man named Jesus of Nazareth. And so let me ask you the question that he asked his disciples 2,000 years ago. He basically said this, I don't care what anybody else says. It doesn't matter what Dawkins says. It doesn't matter what Joe says. It doesn't matter what this person says. Who do you say that I am? That's the question he's asking you in this room. That's the question he's asking you at home. Who do you say I am, he's asking. 
And that's a question you need to wrestle with. It's a question that you need to come to terms with and respond. Next week and forward, we're going to continue looking at him, and we're going to ask Jesus. We're going to say, Lord, who do you say that you are? And then we're going to ask that question and talk about what that means for us in our life today. Does that sound interesting? Amen. Let's continue searching for Jesus, because if we search him, he will be found. Amen?